Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. We give you thanks for your presence and your purpose in us. Lord, you chose uh, instruments of God that were able to change the world, and they're sitting in this, in this assembly. They're hearing us tonight through the internet. We just pray, oh God, that your presence would direct our every step, that our every thought would be taken captive to the obedience and to the purpose of God and submitting to the desire of God to use us in this world as your instruments. We pray, Father God, that you further your purpose in our hearts and that your word would open up our understanding as a light unto our feet, as a lamp unto our feet, as a light unto our path. We pray, Father God, that this tonight we would sow the seeds to what's going to take place in the coming days, Lord. For we know that you sow seed in season You give uh, seed to the sower so that there will be a great and mighty harvest in our return. And our expectation is great. And uh, you say to some, you will give uh, 40, 60, 80, 90, 100-fold return of their efforts, Lord. Whatever a man sows, that is what we're going to reap. So bless your word tonight, Lord, and allow us to be led by your spirit as you open up this aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. It wasn't until we started reading the Bible that we started, we started, we started, we started, we started, we started listening. Uh, We began to open up the Bible. We were able to see great vision of God's purpose. And I want to see that tonight in Revelations chapter 7, verse 9. The Bible says that before the throne of God, John was able to see a great, vast multitude. Revelations chapter 7, verse 9. And we'll all read together. After these things, I looked and behold, say with me, a great multitude which no one could number. That's a good thing. No one is able to number the amount of people that were in front of the throne of God. My friend, you and I are there. That's what John was seeing. Okay? And sometimes the devil wants us to feel like we're not going to be there or we're not good enough to be there. But we found out that on Sunday that this is not deep and and penetrating that the fullness of our salvation comes from Christ. He paid the full price. Your name is on that book, in the Lamb's Book of Life. So there, a great multitude. I want to get this into your spirit. God is not picking a few. This is not American Idol. You make it, you don't make it, you make it, you don't make it. No. The great multitude sitting in front of the throne of God, and a number that no one could number, listen to me, Of all nations, because we would have it that only the Western Hemisphere or America, the faithful, no, listen to me, of all nations, and I I want to tell you something, that we didn't even get to know that there was other nations until we became Christians anyways. Why? We didn't care about anybody but us, but missionaries now go to Hikilio. Who would have ever gone to Hikilio if it wasn't for the saving proclamation of grace that God has for us? And I asked myself, I said, what am I doing in Hikilio? I would have never been in Hikilio. But God loves Hikilians. 
And he loves the people from El Viejo. And he loves the people from León. And he loves Managua and Granada. And he, he is saving people everywhere. We have a friend that went up into the mountains of Colombia to learn the indigenous language of the tribes. You remember, you go up there, hookah, 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 hookah. And you're talking to them in their language about who? About Jesus. You're giving them the, sa the sa saving message of God's power. Say with me, all nations. That's sophisticated. Say with me, all tribes. That's not sophisticated. My friend got there and everybody was almost naked except they had these little things on the front and the back. And they said, you have to wear one of these to be like us. So he had to wear one of those little things. So God is interested in saving great numbers. Huge and small. Nations, tribes. Now, if you don't make it to a tribe, you don't make it to a nation, then you're a peoples. So it says there, all nations, tribes, and peoples of every language. Imagine that, that the message of Jesus Christ is in every language that you can even think of. Now, we, we would have never written the book that I wrote, Restoring the Gates. We translated English, Spanish, German, Korean, and Portuguese. And I opened one of those books, I don't know what the heck it says. But it's in that language. Why? That's the Spirit of God, my friend. Spirit of God will take you places you never even thought. And so we're talking about this simplicity of the gospel. But look, to all peoples in all nations, tribes, and tongues. And they were standing before the throne. And they're all standing before the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Say it loud. Jesus. Say it loud. It's only one lamb, and it's Jesus. And they're standing before his throne, standing before the lamb. They're uh, wearing white clothes with robes, and they were just the same thing as, as what happened last Sunday, Palm Sunday, right? Everybody's with palms. They had palm branches in their hands. So this gives us a, a vision that this is the going thing. This is what's happening. And so in order to get there, the men who wrote the Bible, let's go there real quickly, 2 Corinthians 5.11. This is Paul, and, and he knows, Paul is, uh, he's in tune with God. I hope you're in tune with God tonight. Say, a great multitude that no one could ever even count. Come on, loud. No one could count. Of all nations, loud, of all tribes, of all tongues, all peoples. We're standing before the Lamb and His throne. And my friend, the most important thing, the most important thing is you're there. You're standing, participating with the courts of God. So let's read this real quick. 2 Corinthians 5.11. Bible says like this. It's written like this. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Since we know that God is serious, we're telling people, you better take this serious. I remember our first trip to Nicaragua. We took our three boys, um, and when we came back from Nicaragua, we're concerned. We said, Lord, they're too young to go on missionary trips. Are we okay? Are, are, we, are we being too intense? And all of a sudden, here comes 
Joshua and Nicholas break through the door of the house. I was at work. My wife is at the house. And they said, Mom, 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 show us in the Bible where it says that the blood of Jesus cleanses you white as snow. Show us that part. And so she looked it up on the, in, the, in the Bible, and she gave them the verse, and they ran out of the house. And they ran around to the backyard, and there they were talking to um, a six-year-old little Chris and a five-year-old little uh, brother, uh, Chris and, and Alex, thank you, um, our neighbors, which we stopped talking to them when Christina was born. I wonder why. Okay, so anyways... Um, they said, let's come, let's, let's accept the Lord. And here, Nicholas was seven, Joshua was six, Brandon was five, and they're preaching the message of the salvation. Listen, if a seven-year-old, six-year-old, and five-year-old could share their faith, tell your neighbor, what's up, buddy? What's up? If a seven-year-old, a six-year-old, and a five-year-old could tell their neighbors, that there's a blood that washes away our sin. White as snow. And something happened there. Because it seems like they weren't concentrating. So Brandon was five. And he goes, this is serious. He was telling them, you better pay attention, buddy. He's five years old. And he's telling his neighbor, this is serious. I love that. Love that, that, that we take things of God serious. Because we're pulling people out of hell and bringing them into heaven. With one message. With one name. With one prayer. And we're not doing it. We're, we're not sharing our faith. So, so Paul says here, we are persuading, knowing the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. Now, Paul was a lawyer, and you know how you persuade people in court? Do you know how? You bring witnesses. You bring evidence. you got to show people that what you're saying is real. And this guy was blind, and now he sees. This man was divorced, and now he's remarried. This man was sick, and now he's healed. I was lost, and now I'm saved. I was blind, and now I see. And you persuade men. I, I love, uh, you know, talking with Mirta and Blas as they witness and begin to share what God has done. And the mighty works. And the most horrible thing is how we don't share the mighty works. We don't know how to persuade men. We don't know how to convince them. But we are all well known to God. And I also trust are well known to you. You guys know that we're for real. In our conscience as Paul is saying. Verse 12. He says. He says these words. For we do not commend ourselves again to you. We're not trying to impress you. But give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf. That you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. Verse 13. He's trying to get these people to pay attention. For if we are beside ourselves. If you think we're crazy. Don't worry about that. We're crazy for God. If you think we've gone cuckoo. It's not for Cocoa Puffs. We, we've gone crazy for God. We believe God. God wants to save the world. And so he says, if we're crazy, um, if we are besides ourselves, if we don't look like what we're doing is right, that's for God. And if we make some sense, if we're trying to bring it down to your level, 
It's for you. If we're trying to communicate so you capture it, because we're in love with Christ, we want you to be. And so we'll try and put it in a way, listen to me, you need to make the gospel, um, you need to make the gospel spoken in the language of people will hear. You, you can't be grabbing stuff that's confusing and grabbing stuff that's religious and grabbing all the hard words to try to win people to Christ. Now we'll go deep in speaking these things in the presence of God. But when you're reaching somebody, you have to go down to their level. You have to be real. You can't, you can't be sophisticated. You can't be proud. You've got to go down to their level. In verse 14 he says, For the love of Christ is what compels us. I told the man today, the only reason I'm talking to you is because Christ loves you. Because if Christ didn't love you, I would never, 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 never come across trying to reach you and to save you and to help you. You understand that us sharing with people is the love of God in us? That's what's moving us? Because we're selfish, we care for nobody. We'll talk to somebody who we're attracted to, but to unattractive people, there's nothing but the love of God that moves us in that direction. And so there it is. He says like this, it's the love of Christ that compels us because we judge like this, that if one person was willing to die for all, if Christ gave us an example, we have no more excuses. He wants to save everyone. Listen to me. Um, I don't know who you don't want to save. You might not want to save the boogeyman. Right? You might not want to save somebody you're upset at. You might not want to save a black person or a white person or a Hispanic. You might not want to save a Jew, a Jewish person. You might not want to save an Israeli, an Arab, but God loves them all. All of them. And that love needs to sink in in us so that all come to Christ. And so I was sitting in Nazareth and I see an Arab and he says, you want to buy a souvenir? I said, no, I want to talk to you about something. And he says, well, buy me a souvenir and I'll hear you. I said, no, you're going to hear me and then I'll think about buying a souvenir. God loves you and he sent his son to die for you on the cross and he wants to save you. He says, but I'm Muslim. I said, don't matter because he's knocking on the door of your heart right now. And if you let him in, he'll come and he'll save you. And if you don't let him in on that day up there, you're going to have to answer why you didn't. And he goes, okay, I want to receive Christ. And he received Christ and began to dance with me in Nazareth in front of the temple guard. And we were doing the Holy Ghost dance. So never allow the devil to say this person no, this person yes, the the. The farthest and the hardest they are, the, the taller they are, the harder they fall, right? The, the, the ones that challenge you the most, you sit there and you are compelled that if Christ died, uh, if one died for all, then all died. Verse four, uh, 15, and he died for all. He died for you and me, my friend. He, he paid the price. He went out there and saved you. What for? So that all those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's the number one reason why people don't preach to other people. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I can't speak to people. Guess what? Christ had time for you. Christ was not too busy for you. And so if he died for all, then all have died. And says that those who live should live no longer for themselves. Tell your neighbor, hey buddy, no more for you. No more for you. 
But for him who died, for them, and rose again for them. Verse 16 says like this. Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We're not buddy buddies with anybody. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him no longer like this. We're not into the buddy system. We're into walking out the purpose of God to reach others. Verse 17. Therefore, this is the hope, if anyone comes to Christ, his whole life starts all over again. That's awesome. That's great news. That's news we could take to everybody on the planet. You could start a new life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So that is who we are. Verse 18, it continues on to say, Now all things are of God, and He reconciled us all to Himself. He's brought us back through Jesus Christ and has given us this ministry, this work to do upon the earth, to minister reconciliation. What does that mean? To bring back all people to God. In verse 19, He says, This is how you do it. This is, I'm going to teach you how to do it. Ready? That God was in Christ when He came to the earth, reconciling the whole world back to himself. And he says, I'm not counting their sins no more and have committed to us the ministry or the word of reconciliation. That's what we speak. We're reaching to other people that they might know God. Verse, um, verse 20. So then we have the office of ambassadorship. We are ambassadors of Christ. As through, this is how you do it right here. It says, as though God were inside of us pleading to people. Hey, mister! God inside of you talking to somebody else. It's not you no more. It's God inside of you reaching people. Let me ask you a question. How would God talk to people? How would he communicate? How would he send a... The, the message to the person would grab it, would receive it, would welcome it. We have to learn how to be like God and, and fill ourselves with the Spirit of God. As if God were pleading through us. We beg you, we beg you, in the name of Jesus Christ, come back to God. Come back home. Come to forgiveness. Come back home. And as we are seeing these things, I don't know if you're seeing them. Are you seeing and hearing these things as we're participating? Because I'm going to tell you something. The person that's right next to you a couple of years ago wasn't here. Somebody talked to him about Jesus. And George Gill talked to Raul. Is that how it happened? What did he tell you? God is good. Come to God. He'll change your life. And if it wasn't for George Gill, Raul wouldn't be here. He wouldn't be here. His family wouldn't be here. He would not have had a new life. And so each one of you is the product of somebody that, that told you that God loves you. That told you. I remember Jurgen walked into my office to get a divorce. And I said, no, my friend, that's not the plan of God. God has another plan. And he's been here and he's brought a lot of people to the Lord. I remember when Jordan walked into the house of God. Remember when Blas and, and Blake and the Prietos came. I remember when Maggie walked in. Somebody invited you, Maggie. You didn't just show up. 
Who did? Joey invited you. Isn't that amazing? Joey, what were you doing talking to Maggie? <laughs> he was sharing as if Christ were in him, throwing a lifeline, telling her, come on, somebody cares for you. And we have no excuse not to share what we have. Because if somebody shared it with you, how dare you be deaf, dumb, mute? You cannot be selfish. We need to share what God has done. We're seeing these things. We're hearing them. We're learning them. We're in the fellowship. We're engaging and worshiping our God. We praise him. We sing to him. We pray together. We meet in our homes. We meet at the church. We meet at the park. We meet at the school. All because somebody cared enough to reach out to us. And so that is the basis of coming to God. Now, in the midst of all this stuff, I want to share in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, as, as everybody heard the gospel, this is what they did. They continued steadfastly following what the apostles were teaching. The apostles are mature Christians. People that have been doing this for a long time. They're teaching. What we're doing tonight is teaching the word of God. And so everybody that was getting saved, that was coming, tonight we have new people that have come here tonight. And they're listening to the teaching of the Word of God. The, not, not the little teaching, the deep teaching of God's Word. And we need that. That's good food. It says, and not only did they continue to hear the teaching of the older, mature pastors, it says they were having fellowship. How many love fellowship? I love fellowship. I will bring my bed to church and stay here if we can fellowship all the time. Love fellowship. Don't want to go home. Fellowship is the best. I get to ask and hear what God is doing in your life, what's going on, what you're waiting for, what you're praying for, what's going on, how you're persevering, how you're suffering, how you're living for Christ. That fellowship is the most awesome place. These nightclubs and happy hours and all these people are trying to imitate fellowship. Hey, so what's happening? No, I'm cool, man. I just got molested last night. All right, brother. Listen, that's happy hour. Yeah, go and be a psychopath to call that happy hour. It's the saddest place on earth. The most miserable people there. Lost, blind, deaf, dumb. And they're all dancing. But here in fellowship, breaking the the bread with the Lord, sharing meals, sharing prayers. Look what it says in verse 43. Everyone was filled with the wonders. It says... Um, everyone who came upon every soul, the, uh, many wonders and signs that were done. I, I could start talking about all the miraculous stuff that is taking place in each one of our lives. You know, the goodness of God. Week after week, hearing. Last week, uh, one of our sisters had a heart attack and she didn't feel it. How do you not feel a heart attack? God has to be there. God has to be there. She must be in the presence and say, hallelujah, oops, oh, hallelujah. She wasn't like freaking out, terrorized, going to the hospital, freaking out, losing her. She was in the presence of God, the mighty presence. Every time anything evil comes upon me, I said, Lord, every cell in my body belongs to you. Every part of my body was purchased by the blood of Jesus. I belong to you. There's no devil in hell could tell me different. That's a done deal. So they saw one, signs and wonders through the apostles. They, they went on ahead and they saw something else. In, um, it says, verse 44, all the believers started sharing things in common. 
they started sharing all things, the giving, the generosity. I'm, I'm blown away by the generosity in this church. And last week when the young people went to their retreat, some man showed up. He says, I got $1,000 to, to send people on that trip. And then another guy says, I got $2,500 I'll put on that trip. I, I'm, but aren't you going? No, I'm not going. I want my brothers to go. That's generosity. That's giving. That's power of God in a selfish world where nobody's giving anybody anything. In the house of God, we constantly see the goodness of God. Some people ask me, why don't you guys pick up an offering plate? Listen to me. We're not no, not no offering plate. We're giving so much money, we'd have to have buckets in here. We're not throwing dollar bills and change. We're giving our lives. That's what's going on in the house of God. Everything is in common. We're all together, being generous. Verse 45 says like this, They sold their possessions and goods and divided them amongst all. As anyone had need. As some sister last week said, I'm going to buy my sister. I'm going to give her half the money to buy a car. But you don't have a car. It doesn't matter. I want her to have a car first. That's the presence of the Spirit of God. That's happening in our midst. We need to praise God. Hallelujah. Ain't no ultra. There's nothing to celebrate over there. We're, We're celebrating here in the house of God. The greatness and glory of God. So they're dividing, they're sharing, they're giving as anyone has need. Verse 46 says like this. So, listen to me, this is how they did it. They continued daily. Daily they would go to church. Daily they would break the bread. Daily they would go to Clarita's house. Daily they ate with their food with gladness. They were being simple-hearted. They weren't being sophisticated. They weren't being Kardashian. They were doing things according to the heart of God. And so this community of people, I want to tell you, if you have a chair tonight, you you better take care of that chair. It's a privileged chair you're sitting in. There are people that have lost their chair, have lost their presence in the community of God. Not because of any other thing, but because they despised it. And one day they will cry for that presence of God. They will cry for being back in the place of God's peace. And so there it is in verse 47. They were praising God and they were enjoying God's goodness. And this is the favorite part. Ready? The Lord added to the church those who are being saved. Who added it? Who added it? Who allowed you to be a part of the church? The Lord. You could not join this group if the head of the church, Ephesians 5.23, Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. This is not no religion. You didn't sign up in the Mormons and the Jehovah Witness. This is God in his goodness reaching out to you because someone shared the message. Someone brought you to the Lord. Someone uh, allow you to accept Christ. So here we are sharing the presence of God, sharing his word, sharing his love, seeing the incredible growth. I, I want to share this with you because the church starts in Acts chapter 2, verse 15. Peter stands up. There was first 12 people, right? Then Peter stands up and he shares a word. And the word that he shares um, is that that there was 120 numbered in those that were first there. My friend, I want to challenge you tonight that there's about 500 people that are in this church 
that come here, that, that call Spring of Life the place of their worship. And, and look what happens in our faithful serving of God. This is Acts chapter 2. I lost my place here, but I will find it. I'm going to find it right here. I'll find that number. Somebody could help me also. Did I say 215? I don't know why I'm not seeing it here. Let me find it real quick. Here it goes. There was 120 believers sitting in the house of God. uh, And as they sat there, you're like 120 Acts 115, I'm sorry, that's what, that's what it was, it was a different chapter. Acts 115, it says, And those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, all together the number was about 120. So you know that there's already that amount of people in this church. We already have 120. And they continued to fill themselves up with the presence of God. Now let's go to Acts 241. And it says, Those who gladly received, because there was Acts 2.41, those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day there was 3,000 souls added to them. So you guys do the math, 120 plus 3,000, 3,120. Okay? And so though that, that, there must have been a multitude out there, more than 3,000. But the ones that received the word were 3,000. Now we go from 3,120 and we'll go to Acts chapter 4 verse 4. And it says as they continued to share the message of the gospel. It says, um, however, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. So 120, 3,000. Now we're at 5,000 men. What, what, what are they hearing? They're hearing the message. They're listening to the gospel, and they're added to the church. And so there is 5,000, and then we have Acts chapter 5, verse 14. We see another occasion where it's, the word is spreading, and it says like this, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So now a number no one could count. And then we already read Revelation 7, 9, and 10 where it was an innumerable number. We couldn't count it. My friend, I I think that God is doing a good job here. I think that, that God is adding growth to the church. And as he adds to the church, uh, we we start seeing his hand. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, No, so neither the one who plants a seed nor the one who comes after and waters it is anything. But, but God gives growth. God is adding. I, I want to tell you a secret. Sometimes we ask the question, why doesn't the church grow more? 
Because God's not going to give us 10 million people when only five of us are working. God is not going to grow the church uh, until we get busy in being faithful with what the Lord has for us. Um, as we keep on reading here, I, I want to suggest that, that as they're added to the church, um, they're growing. And, and so you see Nicholas, Joshua, and Brandon, seven, six, and five. And they're saying, you want to accept Christ? He'll wash your heart white as snow. Your sins will be forgiven. We, we need to get busy. We need to get busy reaching the lost. I want to ask you a question. How many lost people do you know? Lift up how many, start numbering the people that you know that are your friends, that are in your school, that are your family members that do not know. And the Bible says, how will they know if someone doesn't teach them? Let's go to, to the book of Romans. And we'll see that there emphatically how the Lord is sitting there saying, you, you know something? There's only one way that people could come to be part of the number. And it has to do with the ability we have to share the gospel with them. Romans chapter 10. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes righteousness and with the mouth you confess to salvation. For the scripture says, um, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jews and Greeks. God is not making any exceptions. People are going to tell you, but I'm this religion, I'm that religion. When we met Jose Medieros uh, many years ago, I said, do you want to receive Jesus Christ? He says, I'm Catholic. I said, listen, it doesn't matter. Jesus wants to save Catholics. And he goes, okay. When somebody tells you, well, I'm Buddhist, it don't matter. Jesus will save a Buddhist. Tiger Woods, you're coming too. Whoever it is, whoever it is, we need to share the distinction. It says like this, and the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever, listen to me, underline that word, please. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. Don't complicate it. Whoever, that word includes everyone, your mom, your dad, your uncle, your neighbor, your coworker. I, I had a friend named Larry Wanshell. He's a lawyer friend of mine. He's Jewish. He's actually atheist. He says, I don't believe in Joaquin. Joaqu I don't believe in the Lord. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you don't believe. He still exists. Now close your eyes and pray with me. And he said the Lord's prayer with me. And he accepted Christ. See, because a blind man can't see. A deaf man can't hear. A man who doesn't understand can't understand. But you need to give him Christ. You need to give him the Lord. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. And it says like this in verse 14. How then shall they call upon him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without somebody to preach to them? And how shall they preach unless we do what we're doing tonight? Because beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel of peace, who bring good news, glad tidings, good, good things. Do you have something good to say about the Lord? Do you have something good to say about your church? No, preaching takes too long, it's too cold, and the seats are hard. My friend, I pray that God would come into your life 
and that you would see something good in the Lord and turn to him and begin to, to do this outreach. They, they did not preach once a month. They didn't preach once a year. Daily, the Lord added to the church. Acts 2.47. Daily, the Lord added to the church. You know what was going on? That somebody was, was at a meeting like this when Peter was telling them about going to witness for the Lord. Not everybody's going to be a, a, a mighty missionary and, and leave it all and go to the mission field. But we're all called to be witnesses of the Lord. We're all called to testify. We're all called to praise the Lord. And the Bible says, as we do our life in God. People are going to ask me, why don't you lie no more? You have an opportunity. Why don't you, why don't you go to nightclubs? Why don't you drink no more? Why did you get baptized? Why are you hanging around with your Bible the whole time? Why are you only with Christians? Why do you sing Christian songs? Why don't you, why don't you know? And as they ask you, 1 Peter 3.17 says, be ready to give an answer. Be ready to be, give an answer. 3.15. Sanctify God in your hearts and always be ready to give an answer, a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason of that hope that you have in them. And do it with meekness and fear. This is like fishing. You can't fish with a guy that likes to talk too loud because he spooks the fish. Bah! Bah! Hey, hey, could you be quiet? I'm trying to get a fishy. And you're, 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 you're spooking him. And so we need to be careful. When he told Peter, he says, come and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you guys, you know, a system to be able to, to capture the heart of men. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. Luke chapter 9, uh, 10, 19, he says, I have come to seek and save the lost. I've come to save those that aren't worthy of saving. Guys, do you guys understand some people don't feel loved? They don't feel accepted. They don't feel embraced. 1910, huh? Luke 1910. The Son of Man has come to seek to find out and save that which is lost. We have an opportunity every second of every day to, to prepare to reach out to a friend and give them an opportunity to come to the Lord. Uh, I, I don't know the full, complete aspect of this, but I, I want to share, if Jesus came to the earth and gave us an example of what this is like, it had to be the most disgusting person that you could ever think of. Do you guys, did somebody come to mind when I said that? Somebody that should not be saved. Somebody that could not, that you could never reach out to them. And I want to tell you, Jesus would. And Jesus did. And I, I don't know the fullness of reaching out to lost people. I, I reach out to people all the time and, and I try to get them to come. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, Paul said like this, No one is making me do this. For though I am a free from all men, nobody's making me do this. Now be, I'm free to do whatever I want, but I become a slave so that I might win more people to God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to subtract some of my time, some of my energy in other hobbies, in other, in other situations, that I might win somebody for the Lord. I'm going to try and, and reach out to people who don't know him. There was a man who was selling um, 
they interviewed him. He was a salesperson at the Xerox Corporation. And in the morning, they asked him, so what are you going to do today? He says, I'm going to sell copy machines. And they said to him, well, what are you going to do on Tuesday? I'm going to sell more copy machines. I'm going to make sure there's copy machines in every building, in every building, and every office in town. And that's what, that was what Paul was saying. I'm going to save souls. Wherever I go, I'm going to save souls. And I'm going to make sure that there's saved souls all over town. I'm going to make sure there's people I've talked to about the Lord. And when I go by, they're going to hide and say, be careful. That guy will talk to you about the Lord. In Acts chapter 17, Paul goes into Athens. And he's there uh, surrounded by a lot of kooky people. You guys know that when you're sitting around a lot of people that believe in a lot of different things, a lot of kooky things are taking place. And this is Acts 17, 16. When Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw the city was given over to idols. I cannot stand seeing people worship other things and not Jesus. You see them at the Miami Heat. And at church, they're like. You see them with the dolphins, they're like. And at church, they're like. You see them tailgating four hours before the game. And they stay after the game. If they lose, they go home. But if they win, they stay there and they dance. And Paul was there and he was provoked. And he saw the city given over to idol worship. And he says, I need to reach these people. I need a game plan. I want to be able to reach these people. In Genesis chapter 40, in verse 5, Joseph is in jail, not because he did anything wrong. But being in jail, it wasn't about him. He looked over and saw some people that were upset. Then the butler and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, had a dream. And both of them, each man's dream. Let's go a little bit further up here. Um, in verse 6 it says, when Joseph saw the next morning, he, he woke up in the morning and he looked to the people that were next to them and he saw what? They were sad. Let me ask you a question. Have, do you see sad people? You got to open your eyes if you're going to see them. You got to notice some people are going through some serious problems. And he says when he noticed, he saw that they were sad. Verse 7, he asked them a question. Why do you look so sad today? Why, why are you so sad? Can you share with somebody and ask them a question? Why do you look? Why do you feel sad? And then that's a great opportunity to be able to talk to them about the Lord. A great opportunity to invite them to church. A great opportunity to tell them how much God loves them. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, today we're going to watch this video now. And this is what I told you. That, that Christ is going to be an example for us. To win people that need to be won. And listen to me. We don't have to care about anything else. Just to bring them to the Lord. The Lord will do the rest. Let's watch this and then we're going to stand up and pray. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's 
This is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper? What what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. People say, give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience in Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent, for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the Heavenly Father. Temptation, this sin. Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? 
I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it. No, you won't. You're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin. You will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. Take me. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I'm the Barabbas and they start to take my chains off and I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me and say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No. God, I say, I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. But God, what if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed. Or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive. Let me have your sin, son. Okay. And I give him my sin. And I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off thinking that we were gonna set ourselves free? It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If His blood is sufficient for your salvation, His blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough. Let's stand tonight.
think there's only one amazing story, and it's the story of his grace and his goodness and his gifting. And I have to tell you something that we, we have a huge, huge responsibility to make sure that this message comes to every person that even is within our reach of influence, our reach of, of getting their attention. I cannot be in a place for more than 15 minutes that I'm not sharing the greatest gift of all time so that someone not fail to receive. Can we all come as a church to the front of the altar here? And, and let's ask God, God, make me an instrument in your hands. Make our, our church, you know, the, the way we serve at church, the way we get along, the way we, we live our lives is a witness. And Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. I will draw all men unto me. And, and what a huge responsibility we are. You're getting to church on time. You're doing what you're called to do here at church. You're serving God with excellence. Your faithfulness to the king. That's the greatest witness of all. The Bible says when a husband and a wife get along, that's a huge witness. When a young man honors his parents. Uh, in our church in Mexico, uh, a very, very wealthy old lady came in. And she started looking at the young boys. And she says, man, if that young boy is so respectful and so honorable, Jesus must be real. She wasn't listening to the preacher. She wasn't listening to the message. When, when our friend who comes to this church, his name is Paco, uh, he came here. I thought he was listening to my messages. I thought he was listening to my deep Bible studies. He says, I don't even listen to you. I just look around and see how people love each other. I'm like, man. People are noticing our love. They're noticing our life. And we have noticed the love of Christ. So let's, let's all start praying. We're going to sing one song. And we're praying together, Lord, make us an instrument of your peace. Make us a messenger of the greatest message ever had. That we were Barabbas. We were the ones that were really messed up. And Jesus took our place. And he'll always take our place. As we sing this song, you just pray to God and say, Lord, make our church, make our church a witness. Make our church uh, the one who is able to proclaim the gospel message of the good news. Make my life a reflection of your glory so people will ask and see that I make a difference. We're singing a song and we're praying at the same time. Yes, Jesus.